Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Rick Weissman. He is co-founder of High Falls Hemp New York. We're going to talk to him about the work that they've done in the cannabis space, in the hemp space, uh, and talk a little bit about what's going on in New York, what's going on with regulations. Obviously, CBD hemp has been, uh, you know, a little different than the marijuana space. You know, federally able to sell legally now and uh, cross state borders. You know, so a little bit of a different market, uh, but yet there's still kind of uncertainty around some of the leg- legislation and regulation. Uh, and so we'll kind of we're going to talk to Rick a little bit where where he sees things, where the business is, uh, and what um, how the hemp industry is playing out. So with that, Rick, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, pleasure to have you. So let's start with background. How? What, what was your professional background? How did you get into cannabis, get into hemp? Tell us the story. Uh, so I'm a uh, baby boomer. That's my general demographic uh, hot button or hot or uh, descriptor, if you may. Uh-huh. I spent uh, a little over three decades in the uh, on Wall Street in the uh, institutional uh, bond markets as a uh, uh, frontline sales uh, for the most part. Uh, but, you know, involved in the mortgage-backed security space from its infancy in the uh, 1980s uh, all the way on up into its 
the crash of 2008, 2009, and then the subsequent process of, of picking up the wreckage for a handful of years. Then um, I was uh, looking at things to do, following the idea that the bond market didn't quite offer the same opportunities or excitement that it had previously been able to offer. And uh, I, um, in 2017, I joined with a group. We looked at various legal cannabis-type enterprises, which is where my knowledge and experience with CBD began. Subsequently, um, I quickly realized that CBD is a game changer in, in a multitude of ways. There's plenty been written on that. And uh, the idea that it, the barriers to entry into the CBD space were, were a lot lower than, say, for you know, full-out pot or cannabis if you may. So then at the end of 2017, New York State offered uh, the ability to be, to become a hemp farmer. They were offering licenses under the Federal Farm Bills of 2014 pilot program. And I applied and uh, we got the license in, uh, I guess, towards fe- end of February of 2018. And uh, along the same time, myself and my wife, who also is a uh, my partner and co-founder in this enterprise started discovering the benefits and the uses of CBD. And uh, we had some uh, various ailments that um, go back to a car accident. We were both in in the early part of the 2000s. Yeah. And it was just remarkable to see how well CBD um, in, a, ver- in a, a plant-based product was yeah. able to take care of lots of issues that, that would otherwise not being successfully managed by conventional medicine and practices. Yeah. And and so in your story there, in your kind of history, you mentioned you applied for a license, you got it. And that seems like a very short description of probably a very complicated process. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to actually apply for the license. How did that process go? How long did it take? What was it like at that point? Well, getting a hemp license is a little more complicated than getting a driver's license. But um, compared to what's involved when people apply for uh, pot growing licenses, uh-huh. um, this was a walk in the park. I come from Wall Street. We we're used to reading fine print <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. uh, and being able to answer the fine print. So the process of applying was actually relatively simple. Uh, what becomes complicated as we move forward is how do you interpret the various rules and regulations as it applies to your enterprise, what you can do, what you can't do, what you should make sure you don't do to stay on the right side of uh, the compliance spectrum. And then as well, you know, how, how do you actualize your involvement in the enter- in the uh, in this can- in this hemp CBD vertical um, in the best way possible, you know, in terms of being an entrepreneur and managing an enterprise. And what were some of the challenges of get actually getting the business up and running? It's one thing to have a license; it's another thing to actually you know be able to produce and and process and dispense. Well, I mean, well, for starters, let's say that we're licensee uh, number ninety four in New York State, uh, which was in the first wave of. Of license when they opened up the licensing process, the state was asking us to sign a document that we knew that CBD was a controlled substance and subject to federal rules and regulations. As if you know, I'm dealing drugs. And the bottom line is, uh, we got we did manage to get New York State to change that because every licensee before me has signed that document, basically saying I'm breaking the law. From yeah, exactly. The admitting that I'm a criminal. So we were not going to go forward unless we got that change. New York State, actually, the attorneys in the Department of Ag Markets were pretty reasonable about allowing us to substitute language to say that we just were aware that this is possibly considered illegal without admitting that we're doing something illegal. Um, 
it, the business itself was is obviously complicated. Growing hemp or pot is not a um, it's not it's not like you're throwing seeds in the ground. If I listen to and it's funny, once I started this enterprise, we hired a consultant that had years of experience doing this in Colorado, which was probably ground zero for uh, this industry since pot was made recreational legal in 2012. And um, with that, uh, that also kind of lifted the uh, veil over allowing hemp to be grown as well. The, um, you know, but if I listen to every person and I got to tell you, I'm surprised at how many people I I ran into who had grown a pot plant in their life. Everyone said, oh, you, you don't need to irrigate. Oh, you do need to irrigate. If I listened to everybody, I would have lost my crop seven times over. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a thousand self-proclaimed experts out there or millions of them, I guess. Anyone who's ever grown a pot plant in their life thinks they know what you need to do. On average, they don't have a clue. So we uh, started off, we were growing, we hired a, our consultant who I, you know, after a bunch of interviews with different uh, potential candidates, we found one that uh, seemed to fit our needs and our temperament, if you may. Um, at the same time, we also started a uh, marketing finished products using um, white label CBD products uh, out of Colorado uh, prior to our first crop being harvested and extracted and formulated into finished products. So that was part and parcel of our business plan was to explore the idea of being vertically integrated from uh, seed to sale. Uh, the extraction side of the equation was something we hadn't, we didn't have the bandwidth, nor did we have the, um, the skill set um, at the time to go after the extractor's license. And uh, so that, but that's something that we later determined, uh, we did get the license eventually, but we decided not to pursue that only because of the complexity and the fact that it's actually become a very crowded market very quickly in New York State. Yeah. Yeah. And so tell me about the market at this point. I mean, I, you know, it, I guess, where are we in terms of the CBD market? Why has it kind of played out that way? What's been working from your point of view? What hasn't been working? Give us kind of a, a take on things. So we're seed to sale, and uh, which means that we grow our hemp. We, have, we then basically control the supply chain from growing the hemp to having it extracted into CBD distillate. Uh, then having it formulated into finished products and marketing those finished products. The price of the intermediate CBD distillate, or even the CBD isolate, if you may, has fallen over 90% since uh, 2017, 2018. That's gone from you know anywhere between seven and $10,000 a kilo to under 1,000 on average. Yeah. Uh, so the economics that were, that were visible to us when we started the enterprise uh, clearly changed over the course of um, over the evolution. Part of it was the passing of the Farm Bill in 2018, which then gave a green light. It removed the Farm Bill of 2018 just removed some of the ambiguity about the legality of hemp CBD, and then subsequently 2019 saw a groundswell of uh, farmers growing uh, hemp for the purposes of CBD extraction, and that just helped accelerate the price decline. In our business model, we had figured the price was going to decline 50% in year one and another 50% in year two, which collectively is about 75%. Yeah. Uh, we just didn't think it was going to be north of 90%. Yeah. So the economic environment has really evolved. This year, all we're doing is we grew, in 2019, we grew 12 acres of, uh, of hemp and uh, we downsized ourselves to about an acre and a half in 2020 and only for the purposes of selling the hemp as smokable flour. Not under our sale, and then let others uh, do the uh, cutting it up and uh, distributing it. Got it. However, 
So the so hemp as a smokable product is viable if you grow it outdoors. As a uh, product to grow, we don't have the scale, or nor do we have the agricultural infrastructure in place to probably be as competitive as we need to be to grow to grow it in mass to then resell it. Uh, so basically, uh, the only part of the business that's really left, apart from you know some you know minor amounts of growing, mm-hmm. uh, is the fact that uh, we're a, we have a very well received finished uh, finished suite of finished products mm-hmm. uh, that we uh, sell on our website highfallshempny.com, and um, you know the margins in that side of the business are um, have for the most part held up. I mean, yeah. there's been some comp- price competition as others. People enter the business and think they can just do this cheaper. Uh, in the reality, though, there's a lot of, I guess, poorly constructed products out there that go to sell lower prices, but on average, they don't deliver the medicine and the medicinal value that one would seek CBD for. Yeah. And how, it's how have you approached the market? Are you primarily working for people that are looking at it as more of a, uh, therapeutic kind of medical uh, application? Um, uh, I guess, how, how have you chosen your target market and how does that change or how does that guide your your product and business strategy? Well, the interesting thing about this, and we've done, we do demographic studies on uh, those who come to our website and actually purchase from us. On average, uh, we have, with the exception of the 25 to 34 year old age cohort, uh, which is larger than the others, all the others, uh, the every 10 years, um, 35 to 44, 45 to 54, 55 to 64, and 65 and over, um, those are all evenly split around somewhere in the high teens for each cohort. It's the, you know, so it's, I can't say that there's a real demographic that is, you know, that dominates. I mean, 25 to 34 definitely is larger, but it's not dominant. So, I mean, and so that sort of speaks to the idea that the product is, you know, versatile for a variety of uses and purposes, whether it's more medicinal for the baby boomer generation dealing with aches, pains and, and other stuff like that, or mm-hmm. the millennials and the 25 to 34 year old crowd where anxiety um, is more of a, uh, of a uh, reason or for, and, you know, sleep is another reason why many of our consumers cite the reason why they use our products. Mm-hmm. And that, that need seems to transcend all age groups. Yeah, and um, so you're you're selling completely online, or do you use retail locations? What's your kind of distribution retail strategy? So pre-COVID, we were um, about seventy percent of our volume was sold through brick and mortar retail stores in the New York City and Hudson Valley areas, mm-hmm. and uh, we were modest on our internet penetration. And um, as it turns out, that about a month before COVID struck. Uh, we did an we well two months before COVID struck. Uh, I hired a new uh, chief operating officer and chief revenue officer for the company. He identified the various deficiencies in our e-commerce platform. So we went out to rebuild that, and we got to jump on that before you know COVID necessitated. Yeah, good for you. That that. But um, it, it, we launched our new website on April 10th of 2020, and um, I'm very happy with the e-commerce team that we've put together done a lot of um, search engine optimization, search engine marketing. And to that end, there's probably a list of about 20 or 30 uh, keywords or phrases where we're on the top, on the first page of Google uh, when you punch those in. It's not exhaustive. Uh, you know, no one can be that exhaustive, but we've done enough, put enough content on our site that that happens. 
Email marketing is strong. Our conversion rates of people who visit our site and then eventually buy something has been running over 6%, which I'm told is yeah. not really stupid by, uh, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, normally what, how it's been described to me, one to one and a half percent is what a good site is expected to deliver two to yeah. two and a half is considered great. So I feel like we're you know somehow off the charts. Well, and why do you think that is? What, what is the underlying choices that you made? Well, I think part of it is because I think we make a really solid product. I mean, when we formulate, we don't formulate to the exact number. We try and shoot about 10% over. Also, uh, from a consumer experience, uh, there's a couple ways to slice the, uh, to formulate your finished products. And to that end, um, we were very fortunate early on to stay away from the pot crowd, if you may. Nothing against pot. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a creature of the, uh, the, of, <laughs> of the 70s. So, I mean, I, I, I totally understand it, appreciate it, relate to it. But in the way we look at the universe, um, CBD is to be experienced and used by the non-pot-smoking universe, the the people who are less cannabis-friendly. And I say that because that's where the greatest room for growth is in in, in this space. It's not the people who accept it as part of the whole cannabis ecosystem, but it's really something that is being embraced and adopted for by lots of other people with different views and attitudes towards the whole cannabis universe. So that is the promise, but our finished product, our tinctures, is our most popular selling suite of products. And on average, um, we use a very clean CO2 extraction method to take our hemp into CBD. And we have it uh, further uh, refined and distilled into full spectrum distillate. And we use a very refined hemp seed oil as a carrier agent. So in effect, our, our tincture products have almost no flavor, uh, which is, um, you know, as opposed to a lot of products out there are not so refined. Uh, there's a whole category of people say that you have to have the whole plant. You really can't refine it because then you wash out various uh, beneficial aspects. Huh. But by the same token, the problem is if you do when you do that, though, you lose what I believe to be the larger share of um, market participants. By so you know, and what we've done subsequently is we've added terpenes back into our formulations mm-hmm. strategically. Uh, we have a relaxed restore terpene blend tincture as well as gummies that is good for nighttime. Very, you know, it's a mercine dominated um, it. terpene blend, and mercine is what is known to basically, you know, in the pot smoking world to put you to sleep. Yeah, and uh, you know, we also have a daytime version that features uh, mostly uh, to focus and empower gummies. And uh, limonene is the dominant terpene there. I mean, there's others to the blend and there's more to the method of the madness. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I mean, we've, we've managed to put back some of the efficacy that some of these um, cannabinoid imp- cannabis inputs would otherwise uh, provide if you didn't filter it as well as we did. Yeah. yeah. And how, how have you kind of amassed the knowledge or the, you know, the insight around this? Has this been trial and error? Have you brought experts in? How, how have you built up this capability internally? Well, I mean, I've spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people. Really, when we were, before we even started, I spent a fair amount of time in Colorado I just really just meeting with anybody and everybody. And there was sort of a, you know, some people were, were better than others. Other people thought they knew what the heck they were talking about, but they really didn't. 
And, um, you know, then just my own knowledge of, you know, just being able to parse out what rang true, what didn't ring true. I was also very willing to, uh, you know, buy a suite of products and just test it out on a whole friends and family uh, network and to get the feedback and see what worked and what didn't work. Yeah. And as I guess any real insights or surprises as you've gone through that process in terms of either what the market wants, how the, you know, what the plant does, processing it. I mean, what, what have you learned over that period of time? Well, I mean, I think we've learned a couple of things. One, it's extremely versatile. It does a lot of things. You know, for a lot of different people, for a lot of different, a lot of different conditions. Unfortunately, because of the federal rules are surrounding THC, or at least how they, as they've been in place uh, since you know Colorado first made cannabis legal for uh, adult use. The you know there's been very little money put at you know concerted real research on a pharmaceutical you know medicinal perspective. And I mean, there's there's tons of studies out there that uh, that you know basically support various claims that get made by um, the hemp CBD or pop THC type you know makers or product, product finished product vendors. Uh, however, there's nothing that really is this. The only thing out there really that's um, you know definitive is the work that GW Pharma did about using CBD to treat rare forms of childhood epilepsy, yeah. epilepsy, um, epidiolex, and uh, a huge gap in terms of real science versus, um, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot, there's a, there's a shitload of information out there in the blogosphere. You type in various yeah. keywords and, you know, CBD and whatever the condition of your choice, and typically <laughs> you can find stuff on it. You can also find stuff on, on all the various chirping inputs that come about. And, you know, I obviously spend a lot of time looking at COAs um, on various, you know, chirping blends that would come out of, you know, various methods and forms of extraction. Yeah. And, and you mentioned using CO2. How, give us a little sense on, on why CO2? What were, what were the options you considered? Why did you end up using that platform? Well, so, well, there's a handful of different uh, extraction technologies out there. Uh, the two that are embraced and um, supported under New York, New York State licensing is CO2 and ethanol. On average, uh, the ethanol uh, pricing typically seems to run about 50% of what CO2 costs are. However, we started off with CO2 and, you know, it seemed to be a very uh, a fruitful decision to stay with that despite the pricing. And, you know, just produces a, just a much cleaner product. And that was ultimately what we were shooting for uh, when we were go out there, you know, coming up with our finished product formulations. Mm-hmm. And, but, and by the way, it's yeah. like, ethanol, you know, ethanol, you know, it depends on how well you also, even after you extract it, how well you go about filtering it. That's equally important. And I, you know, I want to say part of it's catch as catch can. Um, I believe we were fortunate to pick the, uh, the extractors we, we are currently using. And, you know, they seem to have the methods and the technologies down and the uh, New York State license to back it up. Yeah. And on the operational side, I mean, I, how, I guess, what have been the big challenges? Is it process, technology, people? You know, as you've kind of grown the organization, where have been the bottlenecks for you? Well, I mean, people People is really important. Yeah. And the person you needed on day one is different than the person you need on year one. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, and, you know, I, I mean, this is just a real interesting, you know, environmental challenge. Uh, because everyone will raise their hand and say, I can do this and I can do that. And I could do search engine marketing. I could build your website. I could do your creative. I could do your branding. I could write blogs for your website. I mean, not a day goes by that I don't get anywhere from two to four of these types of emails. Sure. Um, 
And um, so there's a huge universe of people looking for, you know, to be involved in it. And, you know, I, I would say most of them are well-intentioned, but they don't know what they don't know. And starting out, I didn't know what I didn't know either. Although I got to tell you, um, I've been learning pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the, um, the best strategy uh, that I've been able to follow in the mantra was to allow myself to fail fast. If I tried something, I did it for however many months, it didn't work, move on, uh, on to the next strategy. And, you know, early on when I was looking at uh, the hemp CBD space in 2017, it seemed like um, pay-per-click was still a viable option on Google, um, at least at the beginning of 2017, as well as influencer marketing seemed to be very effective. Um, when we got to put that into action in 2018, A, the pay-per-click advertising wasn't, uh, wasn't allowed. And as well, the, uh, we had, some, we had a, um, uh, an Olympic gold medalist uh, wrestler, you know, uh, be, uh, as one of our brand ambassadors. And, you know, he was great. He, they, these guys, he drove thousands of people to our website. But on average, it turned out that this was not the right audience for those who would want to buy our products. Um, so again, you know, and then the guys who might be useful were on average wanted more money than the revenues that they can provide for you or bring to you. So yeah. um, influencing influencer marketing probably lasted for, oh, I don't know, four to six months in the latter part of 2018 to the early part of 2019. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our branding was, you know, kind of, I think, very nice, but probably basic early on under the under the label High Falls Extracts. After, you know, trying that out for less than a year, we then made a decision to um, come up with a more uh, for a rebranding effort, if you may. Mm -hmm. And to that end, we uh, hired a creative agency in New York City. Uh, they did, did a lot of work and review on where we were and what we what uh, branding assets we had or what we how we could focus. And they rebranded us um, again with our you know involvement and input. Mm -hmm. And from High Falls Extracts to High Falls Hemp NY, and um, that's and that that's been put in place. So you can see the logos and the geo flower that is evident throughout our website and and our company uh, graphics. So that that was a I, I think a big win. The trouble was is that while we had that part of the equation figured out or or solved, uh, there was still a fair amount of work to do in terms of our our digital platform. And you know again. This is one of these things where, you know, the various people raise their hand and say, I could do this for you. I could build your website. I could, you know, do whatever that has to do with the whole digital ecosystem. Uh, but on average, again, while everyone is well-intentioned, you don't always wind up with the best outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, so, again, this is one of these things where you, you know, you get your party dress on and you're not getting enough, you're not getting asked to enough enough dances mm -hmm. and uh you know then you realize something uh you know again i think the the main thing that i've been focused on is the idea of failing fast if something doesn't work you know some things might work but then if something else doesn't work that sort of you know results in revenue not growing like you think they should it should yeah. um you got to fix that yeah so i mean i we're on our you know our third iteration of our e-commerce platform and i'm very happy with where it is now and we're now in the process of launching our outreach whether through various pay-per-click um, uh, platforms digital remarketing and such and uh, we're and we're starting and as well as um, you know uh, signing up with an affiliate platform that's fairly robust and has a lot of affiliates already registered on with them 
So that gives us a greater ability to scale that without having to rewrite, reinvent the wheel for everyone. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and if if I gave you a magic wand and you could change, you know, something about the cannabis industry, the hemp industry right now, like what what would you change and why would you change it? Well, so you know, it's funny. <laughs> That's a good question. Some people say, well, let's get rid of the FDA ambiguity yeah. between the fact that basically part of the FDA's core says that. If, if there's a, a compound that's being being used as a prescription drug and authorized by the FDA as a prescription drug, it cannot also be sold as out-of-the-counter, over-the-counter. Yeah. And the contradiction came in June of 2018 when they approved Epidiolex as a prescription drug. But by that point in time, there was probably a billion dollars a year of finished products getting sold over-the-counter. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Well, the FDA continues to punt on this issue. Uh, because of that, various large entities like CVS pharmacies and other, and uh, even Facebook ads, I believe, can only you know will only be used for topical applications of CBD, not ingestible. And you know, I kind of look at these rules and these ambiguities as our friend because we're not a big company that has a billion dollars to throw at this, that, or the other thing. Uh, we're a you know a modest, a modest sized company that's that you know cannot compete with you know those types of of uh, pharmaceutical companies that um, if with and when they did actually focus their energy on this, you know, could theoretically run us all over. So, I mean, I like the ambiguity, you know, if I had to wave anything, I mean, I don't know, to be honest with you, I'm kind of <laughs> it's happy. Perfect. The, the hemp industry is perfect for you right now. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I feel, I feel that way. I feel like we yeah. have like probably a two, two to three year window before the FDA, yeah. FDA gets their act together. Uh-huh. So, you know, I'm kind of happy with it. I'm also happy with what New York State is doing because they're setting guidelines and standards for selling CBD products within New York State. On average, that will chase out a lot of the imposters and a lot of the, the bad actors in the business, if you may. And why, uh, why is that? Just in terms of the quality controls or what is it about the regulations in New York uh, that will, will kind of clean house a little bit? Well, there's, there's quality controls. Uh, all retail products need to be uh, subjected to uh, certificates of analysis, uh-huh. so that there is, you know, so you test for potency and safety. Uh, and safety is very precisely defined as pesticides, heavy metals, uh, biological contaminants, and residual solvents. And there's a lot of product out there that might not be, you know, correctly tested. In fact, I I looked on one very popular website, CBD website, uh, today, and you know, I'm that geek who will sit there and look at the lab reports. And by the way, lab reports will be required by New York State. But by the way, lab reports will be required by New York State. But, you know, I just, you have, they do a test on ethanol. And, mm-hmm. you know, and well, maybe because they didn't like the results. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe uh, they did. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not sure what the New York State enforcement regimen will be. Uh, but I mean, on average, I mean, we and, you know, they also require QR codes to go in your bottles to access these lab reports. Yeah. We've been pretty much ready for these regulations for the last year and a half. These are practices, you know, th- that put the consumer first uh, that we've been following, um, you know, in, in, in concept since our beginning. But from a practical, you know, just walk, you know, walking the walk as well as talking the talk uh, for the last year and a half. Yeah, yeah. Rick, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about High Falls, New York, what's the best way to get that information? Uh, well, so our website is highfallshempny.com. And um, you can go there. You can uh, you can become a subscriber. Uh, my uh, email address, if people want to reach out to me, is rick at highfallshempny.com. Uh, and also, just I'll mention, since um, this is the 
30 second moment to give myself a plug. Go for uh, it. We are the, uh, we go by the original trusted New York CBD because we were there first with finished products and we were right on the front lines when the whistle blew in 2018 to grow in New York State. Yeah. So I'm um, very proud of where we've come, very proud of the team we have in place today. And, uh, you know, and I, I thank you also for your time and, uh, and for, for doing this podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I'll make sure all the links and information are on the show notes so people can get that. Rick, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Okay, Bruce, you, you too. Have a great day. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.